Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 7 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, July 12, 2023. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. In June, the Sitka Assembly paved the way for local nonprofit youth advocates of Sitka to convert a duplex on Halibut Point Road into a residential center for unhoused teens. Last night, neighbors of the duplex asked the Assembly to reconsider that decision. Coastal Haven, a pilot program which will serve teens and young adults from Sitka and around the state, was initially denied a permit from the Planning Commission in April following neighborhood pushback. But in June, the Assembly, asking as a quasi-judicial body, heard an appeal from YAS. It voted to overturn the Planning Commission's denial, opening the door for YAS to purchase the duplex. The request for reconsideration was filed by Carolyn Black and co-signed by 22 neighbors of the duplex. They claim that the Planning Commission's initial decision to deny the permit was correct and questioned whether the facility would truly qualify as a quasi-institutional residence under city code. Municipal Attorney Brian Hansen said that in order to receive a reconsideration, the requester must satisfactorily show that a fact, law, or question was overlooked or misconceived in the original decision. Only then can the Board of Adjustment vote to reopen the case. Assemblymember Tor Christensen said after reading through the request, he found nothing had changed since June. Assemblymembers Kevin Mosier and J.J. Carlson agreed. A motion to deny the request passed 4-0 with little discussion. The director of Sitka Fine Arts Camp says that the U.S. Customs and Immigration Service doesn't understand the skills and training needed to operate modern performing arts spaces. The Customs and Immigration Service in May denied the camp's request for a non-immigrant visa for its technical theater director. The so-called H-1B visa is reserved for foreign employees working in specialty occupations in the United States. The Sitka Fine Arts Camp has now filed suit against the relevant agencies in the U.S. government to reverse the decision. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. Sitka's Performing Arts Center is attached to the high school and its utility expenses are covered by the Sitka School District, but the connection ends there. Sitka voters bonded to build the $18 million facility, which opened in 2008. A 608-seat auditorium was designed by San Francisco theater architect Sergio Fisher, and he considers it one of his best. He spoke with KCAW's Ed Ronco during a visit to Sitka in 2013. Is it unusual for a a community like Sitka to have a a facility like this? Uh, Highly uh, unusual. We, We do design a lot of high school theaters around the country and in major cities like Los Angeles, San Francisco area, uh, New York area. And, and in my opinion, this is the best, <laughs> the best high school theater we've ever designed. And, and so to have a community of, uh, is it 8,000, 9,000, yeah. uh, have, have a theater like this is, is very, very unusual, and I, I'm sure people from around the states who come to perform here are probably shocked <laughs> when they walk in. Fisher said that he designed the room around its acoustics, and the Sitka Fine Arts Camp, which manages the facility under contract, has fully exploited its capabilities, with concerts of every kind, from cloggers to concertos, fiddlers to Freddie Mercury. 
That last, of course, was a Queen tribute show, which followed the Pink Floyd tribute show and preceded the Ziggy Stardust David Bowie tribute show. And so it's always important to have a qualified person uh, in charge of the Performing Arts Center. Roger Schmidt is the director of the Sitka Fine Arts Camp. You don't want anybody that's untrained operating any of the rigging or operating in the electric electronics, for example, or even the lighting system. You know, having a qualified technical theater director at the PAC is a necessity. For the last year, the Sitka Performing Arts Center has been operated by a recent graduate with a Bachelor's of Fine Arts degree in theater performance from Midwestern State University in Wichita Falls, Texas. The manager was working under a provision of immigration law that allows foreign graduates to spend a year in a practical training program. Hoping to keep him employed for at least another three years, the camp worked with an immigration attorney to apply for an H-1B visa, which covers non-immigrants working in specialty occupations. The camp provided literally reams of evidence, over 300 pages, but it didn't pass muster. The visa was denied on the grounds that running a theater was not a specialty occupation requiring at least a bachelor's degree of training, and that the title alone, technical theater director, did not make it so technical that advanced training was required. We believe that's a misunderstanding of the field. It's not unusual for people to misunderstand, you know, the type of qualifications and training it takes to do various positions in the arts. Schmidt says there's an appeal process which likely would have landed in the lap of the same person who denied the H-1B to begin with. Consequently, the camp's legal firm, Anchorage-based Nations Law Group, chose to go to U.S. District Court at no cost, naming U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland and several other top officials as defendants. Schmidt says the camp isn't trying to bring down the government. Rather, it wants to negotiate an outcome that reverses a decision that doesn't seem to make sense. The camp isn't seeking damages or any award other than legal expenses. That doesn't mean that the fine arts camp hasn't been hit hard. The visa was denied at the beginning of the summer session when over 900 elementary, middle, and high school students from all over Alaska and the country arrived for courses in everything from dance to improv to even technical theater. Schmidt says they've been stretched thin to cover the position, and they are getting by, but he's not about to let a skilled staff member slip through the cracks of a bureaucracy that doesn't quite get it. Not only are there very few people that can do it, have the training, but furthermore, it's really, really hard to bring people to Alaska. The Sitka Fine Arts Camp filed suit in the U.S. District Court in Anchorage on July 7th. The agencies named as defendants have not yet responded. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Seaweed from Alaska's beaches makes really great plant fertilizer, and more people on the Kenai Peninsula are catching on as harvesting the marine plant becomes more popular. Now researchers are putting seaweed under the microscope to make sure that harvest isn't causing harm to the populations that rely on it to reserve, to survive. Sabine Poo reports from KBBI. From above, the seaweed on the beaches of Homer and Anchor Point doesn't look like much. But under the microscope, there are entire worlds in every sample. That's what University of Alaska Fairbanks researcher Brian Ulaski found when he analyzed the seaweed that had washed up on Homer beaches, also called rack. His team found thousands of organisms in samples they collected two years ago. Next time you're walking the beach, if you look a little bit closer at that rack line, you might be surprised at how much, you know, life you can find in there. 
Ulaski's study comes on the heels of an uptick in interest in rack from commercial and personal use harvesters. One farmer in Anchor Point has been using seaweed for decades to make a potting soil called fishy peat. In the last couple years, the Alaska Department of Fish and Game has started issuing permits for the harvest, about three per year. Research biologist Ted Otis says Alaskans are catching on to the seaweed hype. A lot of local folks collect racks off the beach for their gardens. We were just trying to get ahead of it a little bit and learn a little, a little bit about that resource. Area management biologist Glenn Hollowell says in the last eight or nine years, the Department of Fish and Game started taking a harder look at seaweed. We realized that kelp on beaches wasn't like going out and picking up driftwood or rocks or something. This stuff may have value. To learn more about that seaweed, Fish and Game got in touch with the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And that's where Ulaski comes in. To gather samples, he used clam guns to punch holes into the rack line in the sediment below at about a dozen sites near Homer, from Anchor Point to Bishop's Beach on one side of the bay, and then between Seldovia and Gruink River on the other. So when we looked at those samples, you know, in the lab and under the scope, there were a lot of critters. Over more than six months of sampling, they found over 47,000 different invertebrates in the rack, like coastal centipedes and pseudoscorpions. You don't really see much activity in the rack unless you're looking at it really closely. Then you're like, okay, yeah, I can see things moving around. There's a beetle there. There's a beach hopper hopping around and flies flying around. So it was kind of a, a pleasant surprise, the amount of organisms we found in those samples. Brenda Konar is a professor with the College of Fisheries and Ocean Sciences at UAF. She says the study is a good benchmark for what organisms are found in the rack. So if there's any question or concerns about certain types of organisms or certain species, we kind of can go to this list and see, well, we know that these things exist there. She says that information is important for other species that feed on rack in those areas, like shorebirds. And that's one of the concerns is that if too much of it is harvested, then all of these organisms that these birds rely on aren't going to be around because their habitat isn't there. And Konar says harvesters should think about the tiny but abundant ecosystems they're harvesting when they hit the beaches on the southern peninsula. Sort of similar when you go into the forest and you harvest your mushrooms, you know, those are like little ecosystems. And it's kind of just cool to think about what all is happening there. Hollowell with Fish and Game says already the research is informing the work he does at the management level. He says a presentation Ulaski gave to the Board of Fish in 2019 helped direct policy on commercial and personal use seaweed harvest. In Homer, I'm Sabine Pooks. And that's all for Raven News for this hour. You can listen to or read or 